الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد in the beautiful life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the end part of Qabl al-Nabuwa, of before prophethood we were at the point that at the age of around 25 years of age Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he got married to Khatija radiallahu anha when we talk about ages usually we don't find a hadith where Rasulullah himself says, I was this many years old when this happened. We, we look at the deduction of ulama, there's always discussion on those issues. But what seems to be the correct opinion is around 35 years of age. And I looked at many opinions before coming here to revise and check, but this is what is authentic. Now, meaning that 10 years into the marriage of Rasulullah and this means five years before prophethood. A very important incident happened, and that is the rebuilding or the fixing of the building of the Kaaba. Now, when was the Kaaba built? We talked about this in the earlier durus when we discussed Ibrahim and Ismail. But I will mention some of the opinions of the different scholars of Islam, and then I will mention what has adilla, what has actual evidences because some opinions are based on yani, narrations without a chain without a sanad that we can check now it's still an opinion and we will mention it because ulema of tarikh the ulema of history have mentioned it but what we can prove through the quran or sahih ahadith or aqwal of sahaba that are checked with their chain is has obviously a greater weight to it one of the opinions you find in many of the kutub of tafsir and in some of the books of tarikh is that the Kaaba was originally the original whatever was standing, not in the way that we see it today. We'll talk about the way we see it today when it was built. But originally a building was built by Malaika before Adam Now this is an opinion, but we don't have any actual textual evidence for it. Rather they use some aqwal of ulama and tabi'un and they talk about, يعني, when you talk about in the ayah, in the Quran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the first house that was made or, or established for mankind, that one which is in Mecca, Mubarakah. So they said that this was built before Nas, before mankind even came to the earth. But like I said, we don't have anything we can check. What we find, from this ayah and from the aqwal of many of the tabi'un that made tafsir of the ayah that they say the first person to establish salah and to be there was Adam They Because, I mean, this is the first thing that was built for or established. But this does not mean bana. It does not mean built. Wudi'a, it was established to be a holy site from the time of Adam from the beginning of mankind, this place was holy. So this is the second, right? First Malaika, second Adam. But with the second opinion, we have evidences. Then there is an opinion with some weak narrations that Shith ibn Adam, the son of Adam 
rebuilt it from his father's original whatever was there. But again, these are weaker opinions because what seems to be correct is that Adam did not construct a building there. He just went there and prayed there, was established as a place of worship, but not built as the Kaaba as we see today. Then we have the fourth, which is no doubt supported by the Quran and Sahih Ahadith and Ijma'an, it is correct, which is Ibrahim and Ismail. Ibrahim with his son Ismail. No doubt, and we'll talk about the hadith in Sahih Muslim where Abu Dar Ghaffar asked the Prophet what was the first place of worship built? And he said the Kaaba, or the Masjid al Haram, which is the Masjid of the Kaaba. And he said, what about the second? He said, Masjid al Aqsa. He said, what's between them? Right? Rasulullah told him, Arba'un Ama, 40 years. From other narrations, we know that the one that built Masjid al Aqsa originally was Israel, yani Yaqub. So we have Ibrahim with his son Ismail building Masjid al Haram in Mecca, and Ismail salam's nephew, the son of Ishaq, which is Yaqub, building Masjid al Aqsa. 40 years after Masjid al-Haram in Mecca. Okay? And this is what is correct. Now, afterwards, much after that, when يعني, you got Yaqub then his son Yusuf السلام, and then Yusuf السلام, goes to Egypt, and then you have Musa السلام, and then they come back to uh, يعني, uh, Quds and all of that. And then when Daud and Suleiman السلام's time, in the time of Suleiman السلام, they rebuilt Al-Aqsa as well. Okay? But those are things that are redone. So what is correct is Masjid al-Haram in Mecca, Kaaba. This was originally built as a building by Ibrahim السلام, with his son Ismail السلام. We have some aqwal of the tabi'un like Al-Wahb uh, who mentions that after that time it was rebuilt by the Amaqila. Uh, uh, or Amalekites, what are common English? Amaqila. But this is again not something we can prove from Rasulullah. We have a call of a tabi'i here. We have Qusay ibn Kilab, who's also mentioned to have rebuilt it after that. Now we get to the seventh, which is what we will be discussing today. That is Abdul Muttalib with the Quraysh in the time of Rasulullah and the rebuilding of the Kaaba. And no doubt this is established with. Many, many authentic ahadith. Sahih ahadith marfu'an from Rasulullah and from the Sahaba and so many narrations that there's no doubt that it was rebuilt during this time of the Prophet Just to complete the subject, it was also rebuilt in the time of Az-Zubayr. Abdullah ibn Zubayr, uh, he built it as well. And it was rebuilt by Hajjaj after that. And in 1996, the Kaaba itself was rebuilt by the Saudi government. And the masjid is always having work. If you ever go to the masjid outside, it's always expanding. There's always work going on. We're talking about the Kaaba itself. Tayyib. Regarding the building of the Kaaba in the time of Rasulullah before prophethood, the Quraysh, they saw a need for the Kaaba to be rebuilt. Tayyib. This is something that was uh, yani, holy since the time of Adam alayhi salam. 
And the Quraysh and the Arab, they knew it and they knew its significance from Ibrahim and Ismail and also from who? The incident of Abraham. Amil field, the year of the elephant, Yom al field, yani, what happened there? Arab saw it. So they knew this is the house of Allah, this is something that Allah has made sacred and they respected it. And they saw a need. Tell you what was the need? The ulama of tarikh across the board they mentioned this. They say, one, there was erosion over time. Right? Why? Like somebody may say, why? This is Baytullah, it should never erode, it should just fly in the sky. But this is not the way the dunya is, right? Some people have fake pictures of an Aqsa where there's a rock that's floating, you know? And then you go there and you're like, where's the floating rock? Right? That's not the way it is. I mean, this dunya, if you just had things like that, then where is the test? And some people, some kuffar always come, we want to see a big sign in the sky that just says Allah. Allah is not your servant to do what you want, right? And even if you did, even if there's a rock floating in the sky, you'll make up some explanation for it. Rasulullah split the moon by the will of Allah. They made up, I don't know what they made up, but they made up something not to believe in it. Right? They saw it. They documented that they saw it. Right? So it's not that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this dunya as a passing phase. Everything in this dunya becomes old. People die. Nobody lives forever because this wasn't meant to be forever. But your house in Jannah, it will never erode. Your palaces, your, 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 the rivers that Allah gives you will never finish. Because that is the everlasting life. So in this life, even Baytullah, it finishes. Right? And it has been rebuilt and it will be. Right? So here, this is the first thing. Secondly, we know historically there were flash floods. If any of you went to Saudiya uh, early on, you will see even there used to be a little ditch by Safa and Marwa, which is filled in now. But for a long time it used to be there. Now they have even a place for the water to go. But in Mecca, because it's all jibal, it's all mountains, when it would flood, it would just flood. Even Jeddah today, if it rains a lot, it just, you see cars floating and so on. So this was another reason. The third reason, which is mentioned by many of the ulama of tarikh, and there are some aqwal from the tabi'un and other sanadan, is that there was a woman that was lighting an incense to yani, honor the Kaaba. But as she got close to it, because the Bukhur, they burn it, she lit the Kaaba on fire, <laughs> the ghilaf of it. And it did some damage, because obviously there was wood in the construction and so on. But above all of that, as the ulama of tarikh have mentioned, there was a hikmah here. And we'll talk about that today, inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does everything with a hikmah. Sometimes you don't realize it. Now, sometimes you don't realize the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You become sick, you don't realize the hikmah behind the sickness. Some people, they ask us, the atheists and stuff, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there suffering without purpose? But that's when they don't realize that every suffering in the world also has a purpose for it. Imagine if nobody ever got sick, nobody ever became weak, nobody ever had a headache, nobody ever had any kind of pain. Who would remember the akhirah? Who would make dhikr and remember Allah? Everybody would get lost in their shahwat, in their desires. Even though right now you're saying that I wouldn't, but this is insan. When your life becomes very comfortable, you forget the value of what you have. And when that little bit of stress and a little bit of hardship comes, it reminds you the value what you have. So everything has a purpose. And here there is a lot, a big purpose, which was first and foremost to show the world 
the greatness of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu We'll talk about what that. And the leadership of the Prophet And to prepare the Quraysh and prepare the Arab and the world for the coming prophethood of Rasulullah sallallahu And the honesty of Rasulullah sallallahu And the honor of Rasulullah sallallahu And in a very beautiful and symbolic manner, as Al-Tabari and others have mentioned, this house was built by Ibrahim Who sent the wahi to Ibrahim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now when that house is being rebuilt, meaning it's not being just a new place being built, but it's being rectified. And the one who puts the final stone in the final place is the one who the same Allah will bring the wahi to rectify the religion that people had corrupted. You see the, the beautiful and the example. As floods and times had eroded the building, people's bid'ah and shirk had eroded the religion. And as they fix up the house, Rasulullah sallallahu prophethood, it fixes, brings back to the original state, the message that was sent by the same Rabb who ordered Ibrahim to build the Kaaba. But from a practical perspective, now we have a few issues. The first issue, the Quraysh did not have enough halal wealth to rebuild the Kaaba. Now in building the Kaaba, first thing, you know they didn't have oil, right? Just, <laughs> just so you realize it. <laughs> so the Quraysh, they had businesses, they, were, they mean some of them were well off and so on. But much of their business was haram. I mean there was riba involved. There was a very evil practice of prostitution when they would have any slave girls and they would, uh, for lack of a better term, pimp them out, right? And then they would make money off it because this is jahaliyyah and this is alhamdulillah for Islam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved us from this. This was a common practice at the time, right? And they had uh, dhulm, they would oppress people, they would cheat people, they would lie, they would steal. I mean, halal haram wasn't there, right? Because this is what happens. This is when Atheists tell us that you don't need religion for morals. We tell them what's moral and what's wrong. Everybody makes up their own morality. So if in their mind, they can justify it, they justify it. But they knew right from wrong, even though they didn't follow it. Right? Because one, it's fitrah. Right? I mean, one of the shiuch gave a beautiful example. If you ever see, any of you have cats, right? If you have a cat, and you feed your cat, you just put some food out, the cat will go and <laughs> it will just go and you will eat the food and like, you know, no problem, no fear. But if you just have food somewhere and the cat is going to sneakily take it, you see the cat looks around, it's, it creeps, you know, it takes the food, it runs away. Why? Because from the fitrah, it knows what it's doing is wrong. And it's a cat. Right? But insan has that fitrah. And many people, when they go and do haram, like any with whatever it was that, uh, I don't know, I forgot the name of that website, some website, Ashley something, whatever, right? All these famous rich people in America were going on there and having all kinds of zina and things. But they were all hiding their identities. And they're kuffar, and it's an atheist, but they were hiding. Why? Because they knew from their fitra what they're doing is wrong. Right? So this is the thing, even if you look at bars and stuff, many people, they'd be ashamed, even though sometimes that fitrah gets a little corrupted, but many people when they come out and stuff, they'll still be kind of hiding their identities, knowing what they're doing is haram. 
So the Quraysh, they realized that the haram money cannot be used to build the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They had that in their fitrah and they had that from Ibrahim And they realized this is something muqaddas because they saw the issue of Abraha and what happened. And subhanAllah, when I was reading this and the first time I taught this and now, it always makes me think about our ummah today. The Quraysh, this is Qabl al-Nabuwa, the Prophet was not a Prophet right? at this time. The Prophet had not begun. And this is in the time of Jahiliyyah, in the time when they were involved in all kinds of dhulm and haram, and they didn't care about if you didn't have a strong tribe to back you, they would steal and rob and they wouldn't care, all this stuff, right? But, but even then, they knew you cannot use haram for the things that have to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But today as an ummah, we forgot this lesson. Today as an ummah, we have masajid built on riba. I mean, they will go to a bank and take a loan on riba to build a masjid. What kind of a masjid are you going to build it on riba? The, the, the asas of that masjid is going to be on taqwa. Today you have administrations from masajid that go out to liquor stores. I know of masajid. I'm not going to mention names. No, I'm not going to mention names. But they'll go to a liquor store. And the owner of the liquor store, who unfortunately would be a Muslim, and tell them, we're doing a fundraising for the masjid, help us out. Why? Because the value of that money has, has clouded their mind. They forgot about Barakah. The Quraysh in Jahliyyah knew it, and we forgot it. Today we have Muslims that, that take rishwa, you know, rishwa, bribes. They, they get the, the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on them, and then they think, I'm going to send my mother for hajj with it. What hajj is this? What umrah is this? What sadaqah is this? What zakat is this? But the Quraysh, they realized this. So they said, you know, we don't have enough halal money. That's the first issue they had. Second issue they had. Nobody was willing to tear down the old building. They saw what happened to Abraha. When Abraha went to try to destroy the Kaaba. So who's going to be brave enough from the Quraysh now to go and start, because to rebuild it, you have to take the old stuff down. Nobody was willing to step up. They knew. They had seen it. Third problem they had. Nobody knew how to build with stones. You forget, and I forget, that the Arab at the time first were mostly nomadic people. Most Arabs were, at, even at this time, were nomads. They were Bedouins. You had some centers like Medina and Mecca and others that had developed. But still, the majority of the Arab tribe used to be outside as nomads, living from place to place, no buildings, tents and so on. And the ones that had developed cities, they were mostly mud cities. The houses were mostly made out of mud. Some yani, palm tree leaves were used, palm tree trunks were used, some wood. But even wood, like, like oak and solid wood, was not readily available. And then to build a structure that large, and the, and the Kaaba was at that time bigger than it is today. We'll talk about that, inshallah. To build something like that, they didn't have, they didn't have home people who get cement, right? To build it in such a way that it would last and not just collapse on people, you need, you need expertise, which they didn't have. There you go. Next problem. They didn't have wood large enough and strong enough for such a building. And palm tree barks are not strong. 
right? Like oak and other types of wood, right? Redwood or whatever. And those trees are not local to Hijaz. So in Hijaz, you didn't have, if you go to the sequoias or something like this in California, you see those huge trees. They didn't have those. So for them to have that type, it's not just building a small house for a person. You're building something that's huge and big and so on. So they didn't have the wood for it. Tell you, with all of these issues being faced, they came up with solutions. The first solution about the money. They said, no riba, no stolen wealth, no money from prostitution, nothing taken by force, nothing taken with dhulm, nothing taken in the way of rishwa. All of those things, we don't want. Only bring halal money. And with the halal money, they came up with a problem. They could not build it to the size that Ibrahim built it. So the solution they came up with, which you still see today, is to take out a part that's called Hatim. Hatim is the half circle that you see today. This used to be a part of the Kaaba in the time of Ibrahim and up until this time. So imagine if the Hatim was inside the building, the size it is, it was huge, right? for that time anyway. So they decided to leave the Hatim out. Now, by the way, since we're going through this and we're going to talk about a lot of the evidences and things. One of the funny things I see is a lot of atheists and Christian apologists and stuff, when they cannot come up with anything against Islam, they cannot come up with a uh, contradiction, they cannot come up, they cannot debate, they cannot, they just make up lies. And it's very sad to see them just explicitly lie. One of those recently is that this Kaaba is not the original Kaaba. Like the original Kaaba was in Petra, right? What is the Hatim in Petra? <laughs> what is the building? We have Mutawatir Amali. Yani people have been going to the Kaaba and reporting their travel and documenting it every year from the time of the Prophet until today. How do you come up with this stuff? It's just strange. Khair. The Hatim that used to be inside the Kaaba, then they put it outside. They marked it and then they made the Kaaba square shaped about right? and they took that section out and that's a big hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I'll explain that inshallah as we go some of the issues that they some of the changes they made we'll talk about inshallah as well but this is a solution they came up with okay next issue nobody is willing to take down the old building here Walid ibn Mughira Walid ibn Mughira we've spoken about him and no doubt from a worldly perspective, he was a very intelligent man. He was a handsome man. He was an eloquent man. He didn't become a Muslim. I mean, he was one of the enemies of Islam. But, I mean, this is not like you know, Abu Lahab and stuff in the cartoons. They make him like this very ugly guy and stuff. That's not the way it was. Good looks, wealth, eloquence does not buy you Jannah. Many of the Sahaba were disfigured today, even others. But they were people of Jannah because of their Iman. Many of the Quraysh were handsome and rich and beautiful and so on, but they were people of the Nar because of their Kufr. So the success comes with Iman and Kufr. So Walid ibn Umayyad was intelligent, he said, look, we're not destroying the Kaaba, unlike Abraha. We are honoring it, we are remaking it. So let, let me start and I'll start to dismantle it and nobody else come in. And if nothing happens to me, then khalas, everybody come in. So he came up with a solution. He went 
and he started to dismantle the Kaaba. But the Quraysh, they were like, we're going to wait a minute. <laughs> like, like a lot of us are scared about the vaccine, right? They're like, let's wait a few minutes and let's see how it affects people first, right? So they were like, you know, we're going to wait a minute. So he took parts of the Kaaba off and he said, okay, come on, guys. Let's, let's get me, I'm translating here. But come on, guys, let's, uh, let's get into it. They were like, nah, we're going to wait a day. <laughs> let's see how the night goes. <laughs> Allah's halim. <laughs> so they waited a day and a night and they saw nothing happen to Walid ibn Mughira. They then and he went the next day with his sons and started again. And they said the Kaaba was half taken off at the time. And then they went and they joined him. Tayyib. Now we have uh, and all of these are from a hadith, like the ones of the Muslim Imam Ahmad, Mustadrak, and Muslim Abdul Razak, Ibn Ishaq, and so on. Now comes the issue of no expertise on building with stones and rocks and, and wood at that scale. So subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it that there was a Roman that was visiting there, Baqum. And some names have had little variation, but Baqum is what is authentically established about him. And he was uh, somebody who was visiting, and the people told him, look, we have this need. Ibn Hajar has, it, for example, Fath al-Bari as well. He says, then he volunteered, whether they paid him or not, Wallahu but he stepped up to show them, because in Rome, and in Europe, they used to build with rocks, with stones, so he had that expertise to share. Now the issue gets to be uh, no wood. Right? They had the rocks from the original, they were going to reuse them, but the wood had deteriorated. So now no wood, and none of the trees around Mecca and Hijaz could have done it. So a man came to and said from Jeddah, SubhanAllah, and it's amazing how these brothers from Jeddah and Mecca and stuff, and he, in Mecca and Medina, you think about it. When you go to Jeddah, you're like, eh, you know. But subhanAllah, how historic is Jeddah too? You know I mean? How much we find it in hadith and things. So a man from Jeddah told them that there is a large ship that is shipwrecked and abandoned on a small island by Jeddah. Okay? Wallahu alam where that island is. Like, don't, don't go to Jeddah. Like, I think it's this one. It doesn't really matter. No, don't do tabarruf there or something. So... A tree was, a ship was shipwrecked and the people had left it, it was damaged, it was not seaworthy anymore, but it had huge amounts of wood. So he said, this is there, we will get it and we'll bring it and then we use it. And the Quraysh then they sanctioned this and they brought the wood to use. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made a way for all of these ways. But now some things are going to be different. The first thing they did different is the Kaaba used to have two doors. Many people don't realize this. And this was in Sahih Ahadith. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he explained some of these in one hadith to Aisha radiyanha. Marfu'an, from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Kaaba used to have two doors, so people would enter through one door and exit out the other. But the Quraysh, when they rebuilt it, they, they sealed it off to one door. And the point there was to control the flow. Because otherwise people would be coming and going, but the Quraysh wanted to only allow those in that they wanted to control. And unfortunately that has been the case since our time, until our time. And it used to have a window and they sealed up the window. They don't want people looking in. <laughs> if you want to get in, you got to go through me and you got to go through that one door. That's the way they wanted to set it up. And the doors, the both the doors used to be at ground level. They raised the one door high up as it is today. You can't just walk in. In the old days, it was ground level. So you just walk in. And Ibrahim 
till this time. But the Quraysh then raised it so that the people would not be able to just walk in. You would have to walk up so it was something that would again give them more control. The, the cloth that used to cover, and this is something different, but was multicolored uh, until the Khilaf Abbasiyah, the black from what the Imam of Tariq have written, was standardized at that time, as it is still today. And the key to the Uthman ibn Talha, as we know, Ali and Abbas wanted to take them, but Allah ordered to be with their family, as it is still today. Khair, so with these changes, they started to work on the construction. And they took off the wood panels and the beams, and they took off the rocks, and they got to the bottom. And this is very interesting. I found this in multiple books of Tariq and so on. When they got to the bottom, they found a very different type of rock. All you UFO guys, take it easy, all right? Don't get carried away. Right? When they took the floor off, they found huge green rocks. And they said these were huge insides. Something not local or native to Mecca. Right? They said they were the size of the humps of a big, large camel. So, I mean, they're not like even boulders, they're huge. And they were stitched in together. I mean, they were tied together in such a way that they couldn't even take them apart. Like as if they were stitched. But obviously, they didn't have stitching, they're rocks. But this is a way of speaking. Right? And one of the people decided to. Yani one of the Quraysh said, we're going to take these out to rebuild as they were doing. When he hit it, there's two narrations. They seem to be both correct. One of them, that a light beam came that blinded him. When he, his eyesight came back, but he would have temporarily blinded him. And it lit up Mecca. And the second, which is also that it shook the whole of Mecca, like an earthquake. So they realized that this is, okay, leave that where it is. So they left them there until today they are there. Now where they came from, and wallahu a'lam. And we, we don't have narrations that tell us, unlike Hajar al-Aswad, which we'll talk about. So we leave that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this is something amazing that we find in the Kutub of Tariq and some of the Kutub of Hadith and so on. So they put the same thing back. Now, there used to be no roof of the Kaaba in the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam. The Quraysh put a roof. Yani it was not as it is today, all nice and stone and so on, but they put a roof and yani, they, they took out some of the things. Now, by the way, in the time of Abdullah ibn Zubayr, when he rebuilt the Kaaba, he built it to its original way. He actually put the Hatim back in and he put the second door and so on. But then Hajjad, when he really changed it, he said, uh, Rasulullah didn't change it, why would you change it? Even though Rasulullah wanted to change it, but he realized the situation. So, this is something that has gone back and forth. Why did the Quraysh make a lot of these changes? Because one was the money issue, but the second, no doubt, as, as mentioned in the Qutb of Tariq across the board, that they wanted control of who enters and exits. Before that, it was open. The doors used to be open. Anybody that comes could go inside and come out. And at that time, they had six pillars. I mean, the, the rebuild, they put six pillars. The Quraysh wanted to use this as a power play. And that's what they did. And unfortunately, until today, it's become like that. And we're not... When we see something wrong, it doesn't matter where the wrong is done from, we say it's wrong. 
Some people are like, they'll criticize everybody but not somebody. No. Right is right, wrong is wrong. Right? What happens now? The regular person who is a worshipper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not allowed in. Because, I mean, and I, it's understandable that you, if you know, we have 4 million people going for Hajj, if it's open, everybody's trying to go in, it's going to be impossible, right? But what people do is they open it up for dignitaries. Why? Some guy who doesn't make salah, some guy who's <laughs> whatever, najis in his whatever, and then you open up the Kaaba for this person, right? And then he goes in and then he shows people, he takes pictures, you know, in the Kaaba. Well, don't get too happy. Abu Jahl prayed in the Kaaba too, right? Abu Lahab prayed in the Kaaba. Just that is not going to help you any, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed us with something, which is what? The Hatim being outside. That now all of us, really if you're patient enough, you can go pray inside the Kaaba. How? You pray within the area of the Hatim. You cannot pray Fard Salawat there on a fiqh perspective. You cannot make Fard Salah inside the Kaaba. You can pray Nawafid. Right? So if you go and if you're patient, and you're not pushing people and things, you can pray inside the Hatim and you will get the reward as if you prayed in the Kaaba. Nothing. So now look at the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that yes, the two doors are closed and this control is going on, but Allah made a way that Allah, us, us regular folk can still go pray in the Kaaba. If the Quraysh had not rechanged the design, they would have all been under the control. But alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed us with this opportunity. So now, everything is being put. But the Arab, they loved honor, like they loved respect, they loved to be any people who were remembered for greatness and so on. So now the issue came to be who will put what stones, right? So different qaba'i and different tribes were given, like this wall will be yours for you to build, this side the wall will be, this corner will be yours. And everybody took their own sides. But a problem came. Who will put the most honored of things? The greatest honor to put Hajar al-Aswad. Hajar al-Aswad, what we call the black stone. We'll talk about that, inshallah. But who will put that in its place? And all of the Arab realized that this is a great honor. This is not some regular stone. It's not some meteorite. This is not some you know, lava stone or something. This is something that, as in the Muslim Imam Ahmad, as hadith number 2792, Ibn Khuzayma has mentioned it and authenticated it, and Nisa'i, a Tirmidhi, considered to be Hassan Sahih, and others from Abd ibn Abbas, anhuma, from the Prophet والسلام, himself, he said, Nazdala al Hajr al Aswad, that this Hajr al Aswad came down min al Jannah, from the Jannah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this. Wahua ashaddu bidah, and it was. Very, very white. The Rawayan Tirmidhi, Biyadin, it was something that was shiningly white. And in the other narration, it also clearly says, it was Biyadin min al it was whiter than milk. And then, فَسَوَّدَتُهُ And then it became black from the khataya, from the, the sins of Bani Adam from the children of Adam. So this rock, it's not just a regular rock. We don't worship it. I, mean, I just want to be clear for somebody that may be confused. No doubt, 
This is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordained to be holy. When Umar radiyan kissed it, he said to it, he spoke to it and taught us a lesson. He said, I know you cannot do anything. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can help. You have no power. But I saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kissed Hajar Aswad, so I followed the sunnah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders what he wants to be muqaddas, yani to be holy. Ramadan is a month of fasting. Why? Because Allah ordered it. Not because it's this month like this, and then we don't go into all of your little logic and all that. No. Allah ordered it, so it is. Otherwise, any other month could have been chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the ikhtiyar of Allah, it's the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mecca is the holiest place on earth. Why? Because Allah ordered it. Not because it's the center of the earth and this graph and this. Ya Allah, people give me a headache. Brothers don't have other things to do. You don't have Quran, Hadith to read. Brother, one brother, he came up to me, he was like, I was reading Surah Al-Kabut and then I was counting the lines of a spider web. What? Are you eating shrooms? What are you doing? How did you have that much time to sit and count spider threads and stuff? You got nothing but, don't you have a Quran? Don't you have books of Hadith? Don't you have Duru's? Don't you have halaqat? Things you need to do? Look, Mecca was, was at a time not the Qibla. Which is Al-Aqsa with the Qibla. Why? Because Allah ordered it. If Allah ordered us to make sujood to Adam, we will make sujood to Adam. Why? Because Allah ordered it. But Allah has ordered us not to make sujood to anybody but Allah. Allah ordered us to make the Hajj to Mecca, to make the Hajj to Mecca. We don't have to give some kind of biological, geographical explanation for it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set down Hajar al-Aswad as a mercy for us. And whoever touches it, and whoever kisses it, or makes sujood on it, or whatever, it takes away the sins of mankind. And that's something that we know from Sahih al-Hadid, that it will even come on the Day of Judgment and Allah will give it the ability to speak. And it will intercede on your behalf. So if you have the opportunity, what is from the sunnah is to touch it or to kiss it. It is not from the sunnah to fight over it, to hurt people over it, to touch non-mahram women, or if you're a woman, to throw yourself into a group of non-mahram men. These would be tahreem, things that are haram. You cannot do haram to try to do sunnah. I saw people elbow each other. I saw a woman that her husband, her husband threw her. I'm not kidding. Like, like, woo, on top. And then she was screaming on the way out, Sister, what were you doing? If you're unable to do it, خلاص, make your niya, Allah will give you the ajr for it. If you can calmly, Allah, alhamdulillah, I've kissed it, I've touched it, I've made sujood on it many a times, I've never fought anybody over it. I've never punched anybody for it. I've never pushed anybody for it. Alhamdulillah, Allah will make it easy for you. But this is from the sunnah. Tell you, before I move on, just a clarification. The hatim, which is also called hijr. Some of the people call it hijr Ismail. And they have this idea that Ismail is buried there. This is not established. There is no yani hadith from the Prophet Sahih that is authentic to say that Ismail is buried there. There are some mawquf da'if riwayat. Some narrations that are stopped, 
It is from the Sahaba, and they are da'if, sanadan, they are weak, that mention this. The only Nabi whose qabr, we know where it is, who is it? Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The grave of Da'ud the grave of Sulaiman the grave, all these little charts you see, people love to worship qubur, so they make these little charts and put them in massages in front of where you make sense All these charts, this is a grave, and they have one with like, Star of David's on it, and they're like, oh, look at this. How do you know? And the grave of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa we know. The grave of uh, Shu'ib in Madian, we don't know. We know they existed, but unless you have some evidence, we don't make things up. So, just to be clear on this issue as well. So now, you had an issue. Hajar al-Aswad, something that came from the Sama, from the Jannah, from Allah. Something that was white and glowed. I mean, some of the narrations mentioned that it's light before, and there's weak narrations, but I'm just mentioning them, would light the east to the west. But from the Sahih narrations, we know it was whiter than milk. Something that takes away something so honored the Arab, they realized this, so they said, who will put this in its place? Now here the Arab, they were, they were eager for honor, but they were also hot-tempered. <laughs> they were ready to fight. So everybody grabbed their swords and the Qabail started to, uh, and we would say square up, right? <laughs> so they got ready to start killing each other. And at that point, they, they had a, yani, uh, a, a time where it almost came to battle, but one of the intelligent people, Abu Umayyah ibn Mughira, Abu Umayyah ibn Mughira, he is the brother of Walid ibn Mughira. And he was Mushrik, he's from the time, at this time, Jahaliyyah. He told the Quraysh, he says, let's not kill each other. Let's come up with a solution. The next person to enter from Bab Banu Shayba. Bab Banu Shayba. Banu Shayba is a qabila, and they have, and it's still there. Bab Banu Shayba is there, and from the process of to enter from it. He said, whoever, everybody here that's in this discussion stays here, you can't just get up and kind of walk out, right? You're all here, let's just see, whoever enters next makes the decision. And they said, okay, that's fair. And long and behold, who would enter? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And look at the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing them who the man that there will be their leader, their sayyid. Who will be that prophet? Who will be their guide? Who will show them right from wrong? Who that will they're showing them? Preparing their minds. So when the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and this is before Prophethood obviously, when he walked in that door, all of them said, Alhamdulillah, هذا صادق. And this man is truthful. هذا Amin. He is the one that is honest. He is the one رضينا به. And we are pleased with him being the one who makes the decision. What does that tell you? First thing, it tells you the character of the Prophet sallallahu That even before Prophethood, he was honest. He was trustworthy. He was liked. He was fair, he was just, he was balanced. So the Quraysh there, knowing those beautiful characteristics of our Prophet ﷺ, when they saw him, by the hikmah of Allah SWT, that he is the one that entered, that they said, we agree. Now, how do you do it? If you say, well, mine tried, you guys do it, then obviously that's not fair. Right? And this is, whether it was yani, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we know that wahi had not begun. 
But everything is from Allah. But from the intelligence of Rasulullah as well, is that he told them that what we will do is we will get a sheet. And the different qabila, qaba'il, they will grab the sides and we'll put the rock in the middle and we'll lift it up together and we'll take it together so that we go and put it in together. Beautiful and intelligent, problem solving, peacemaking. Like how beautiful is that? Again, and this is five years before the Nabuwa, but what did it do? This right here, first thing brought peace to the Arab. When they were at that point of about to kill each other, they realized that, that we were, we're going to, I mean, no, even people who are real brave and hot-tempered, nobody likes war, I mean, in reality. People who like war are people that haven't been through war. People that haven't been through fighting and guns and bullets and death, they're the ones that talk all this stuff. When you've been through it, even if you're ready for it, you don't like it. The Quraysh, they, they, they were ready for it, but they knew it was going to be hard. When they saw this, they were very happy. So they would remember that the Prophet ﷺ brought peace amongst them. Secondly, when the stone had to be placed, now they all carried it, when it had to be placed, everybody agreed that Rasulullah Muhammad ﷺ is the one that would actually place it. So they all got the honor of taking it, but he got the honor of putting it in, which showed an example of honor to the Quraysh of the Prophet ﷺ. It confirmed his honesty. Why? Because when he came in, they said, this is the honest, this is the Amin, this is the Sadiq. So in, in front of all of Quraysh, this everybody, this was the hot topic of what was going on. It affirmed in their minds the honesty and truthfulness and trustworthiness of the Prophet It established the leadership of the Prophet This man, Muhammad is to be the leader of mankind. He is to be the leader of not just the Quraysh, but of Sayyidun Nas. But he is young comparatively. 35 years at the time, 40 at the time of Nabu. And yani, even though he's from a noble lineage, but he's not from the chiefs of Quraysh. So for him to get that honor, which Allah had ordained for him and the people to be able to accept it, Allah SWT made this, this beautiful incident from the hikmah to show that he is the leader. His leadership was established. All of the Arab Quraysh tribes are now following his command. And in the end, he is the one putting the stone in his place. As the Kaaba was rebuilt, this was a message that is well known from, meaning from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the religion from Ismail and Ibrahim was to be rebuilt. And the one to lead it, the one to be the one, the final step is the final messenger. The last of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa The Kaaba was rebuilt. Everybody was happy. Everybody remembered this. And now the Prophet sallallahu Moving forward to the next big incident, which is the prophethood. But there are a couple of very important things. One of them is there was a man named Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufa. And this is at the age of the Prophet when he was 37 years of age. He was invited uh, to a gathering and Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nawfal was there and a goat was brought to the gathering, a Sahih hadith. And the Prophet himself explained this, the he told us about this. When that goat was brought, everybody ate the meat except for Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nawfal and 
Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who was not a prophet at the time. This is 37 years, meaning it's still three years before prophethood. Both of them didn't eat from the meat. And when they asked, they said, why? He said, because the Prophet ﷺ, he said, he said, I swear by Allah that I would not eat from that which was sacrificed in the name of other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam al-Dhahabi, for example, he explains this in great detail, right? Ibn Hajar has this in Fatih al-Bari and so on. What does that tell you? First and foremost, that Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nawfil was upon fitrah. He was not at a time where we, they had a prophet in front of them. I mean, this is between Isa salam, and Nabi Muhammad sallallahu But he did not worship the idols. And he did not even eat of the meat that was sacrificed other than for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there were people who were upon fitrah. Like uh, Waraka bin Nawfal and others as well. But here the Prophet Muhammad also never worshipped an idol. We know Al-Dhahabi, he says, he never drank alcohol, he never did zina, he never did all of this, of course. But he never worshipped an idol. The point that I want to bring forth is there were others who were on fitrah. Why? Because tawheed is the fitrah of insan. People corrupt the fitrah, but if you really go into the, the natural state of a person, the belief in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. You have to convince yourself of other things. You have to convince yourself this monkey is God. No child is born on that fitrah. But the fitrah that there is one great creator above all of us, that created all of us, that's not like us, that is greater than us, more knowledgeable than us, this is fitrah. Now, people always ask us, like, what if there was somebody and there was, he didn't know about Islam and things? So this is an example. That if they are upon fitrah, if they are upon tawheed, and they're from the people of Jannah, as Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nawfil and the Prophet explained about this. And bil'aks, on the opposite of that, if there were people in that time that worshipped idols, we cannot say they were on fitrah. Like some people, they say, oh, don't say anything about the parents of the Prophet or this person or Abu Talib and stuff because they didn't know. No, there were people, even at that time, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided. And from their uh, want for guidance, Allah saved them on Tawheed. And if anybody still worshipped idols and participated in those things, like Abdul Muttalib and so on, then we cannot make uh, excuses where there is not to be made. The Sharia is the Sharia. Inshallah, we'll stop here and we'll pick up with the prophethood of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam beginning at the next dust, inshallah.